Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I have the author of John Lennon versus the United States of America, the inside story of the most bitterly contested and influential deportation case in United States history. The author of the book is Leon Wilds, and Leon's on the phone with us today. Mr. Wilds, how are you? Fine. It's a pleasure it, to be with you. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to have. Uh, uh, read the book. Uh, welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I have the author of John Lennon versus the United States of America, the inside story of the most bitterly contested and influential deportation case in United States history. The author of the book is Leon Wilds, and Leon's on the phone with us today. Mr. Wilds, how are you? Fine. It's a pleasure it, to be with you. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to have uh, uh, read the book. Uh, you are a, a an immigration attorney and the, the founding partner of Wilds and Weinberg, in addition to being an author of this very interesting book. Uh, I've been looking forward to talking to you about the book and, and what your experience was uh, with John Lennon. I wonder if before we start talking about what happened, if you would set the historical period for us, what were you doing uh, before you took on this case? And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the political environment of educa- uh, immigration law and immigration policy at the time. So I wonder if you could take us back to the ni- early 1970s just for a little bit. Uh, at the time, <clears throat> I was practicing immigration law for at least about 15 years. And um, the practice of immigration law is generally we assist people to become lawful in the United States as permanent residents or in one temporary kind of visa status or another. And uh, I had been very successful before I was referred to John Lennon and Yoko Ono by a fellow attorney. Um, He indicated that he had a very important client and that while he could not assure me that I would be retained, he would uh, certainly um, recommend me and take me to meet them. He indicated they did not generally go to lawyers' offices, so we would be visiting them in their apartment in the in Greenwich Village. And that's where I first met uh, John and Yoko. Now, immigration law is a kind of uh, specialty, and uh, uh, there are first-class lawyers in other fields who would never touch it 
and there are people in in uh, the immigration uh, field uh, who have done very well with it, although it's very unusual. It's uh, we do come across uh, politics in our work, and occasionally a case because of the polit political situation of the clients uh, ends up in problems with the government if the, their political situation is not acceptable. John and Yoko uh, had a view of the United States and its political situation, which was different from the uh, from the feeling that the Nixon administration uh, had. As a result, the moment the Nixon administration found out that they were involved, they decided to deny each and every application and get them out as soon as possible. I had come in for a, a an extension of a visitor's stay for John and Yoko. The extension had a very humanitarian basis. Yoko had a child from a prior marriage, and that child was being kept away from her by the child's father. And it was several years since she had actually seen the child and chased the child around the world trying to catch up uh, with them. But because they're so famous, every time they get to a city, it would be known and he was gone again with the child. So as a result, they came to the United States and they started a custody and visitation proceeding uh, in court here. And in fact, the father of the child started a different proceeding in another court. But both courts had already come to the conclusion that John and Yoko should have custody and that visitation should go to the, uh, to the father. Now, when I came in, they had only about a week or two left on their visitor's stay. And I was going to, ex to extend it and request an extension for six months. Um, <clears throat> the moment the district director of immigration in, in New York found out that it was John and Yoko. He checked. He had full authority to rule on the application himself, nobody higher. But he checked with the commissioner's office in Washington, and they decided that they didn't want John and Yoko in the United States. And so he answered me. He said, Leon, because it's you, I'm going to give you a month. But you tell your clients that they'll never get another extension and that they better leave now. Now, let me just ask you before you go on, uh, because the, this, is, this is just such an interesting and, and controversial case during the time period. What was what were John Lennon and Yoko Ono like as clients? What what was it like dealing with them during this time period? Were they good clients? Yes, and they were very special uh, people. 
He was delightful. I've never met such a, a uh, an interesting um, person, positive in every way. And uh, Yoko, I found to be very, very smart. In fact, she seemed to have a sixth sense about what was going on around her, which even the political people didn't realize at the time. Now, the case wound through the legal system, but was ultimately resolved on July 27, 1976. How did the court ultimately rule on this case? What was the resolution of this very long and I can imagine quite painful legal proceeding? Well, the problem in John's case with respect to getting residence for him was the fact that he had a conviction for possessing cannabis resin, that's hash. And um, uh, there really was no way out for most cases in that respect. But we were able to convince the U.S. Court of Appeals for this district, the second district, that uh, that because of the situation of how he was arrested and so on, uh, he did not have such custody of the um, of the drug uh, that he should actually uh, be held uh, criminally responsible. There was no. What happened in England was highly unusual. A uh, a police uh, an, a, an arresting officer at uh, British uh, uh, police uh, was out to get as many um, pop musicians as he could because he thought that they were corrupting British youth with their music. And as a result, he would come with his drugs and with his drug, his dogs to smell out the drugs, and he would bring the drugs, place them in it wherever the person was, and arrest the person. And he had done that in many cases. Of course, it hadn't been discovered. We were lucky enough to find that it was discovered at the time that Lenin's problem came up in the United States. So we were watching. Now, you, you argue in the book that this case was more than just a celebrity issue. Uh, how so? Uh, what were the larger issues at stake? And, and I wonder if you can talk about what is the legacy of this case of John Lennon versus the United States of America? The legacy has to do with what John encouraged me to do and permitted me to do in the case. Uh, I have been convinced over the years that the American immigration system did not had a real um, heart. And because there were cases of very serious prime criminals who were supposed to be deported and weren't being deported, and there was never an explanation of that. 
immigration was saying at all times that they were treating him like anybody else. And so they couldn't admit or wouldn't admit that they had such a program. But I uh, sued the government under the Freedom of Information Act demanding the cases, demanding access to the cases uh, of others who had been arrested and were not removed from the United States, even if they were held deportable in proceedings. Uh, I was supplied with a large number of cases where that, was, where that happened, and as a result, John uh, asked me to publish and that my findings so that others who might not be able to litigate or to afford litigation costs uh, would be as successful as he. <clears throat> and that's what I did. It resulted in five full uh, law review articles with hundreds of footnotes and so on, where I complied with his desire that we let other lawyers and other potential cases know that the government does have a heart and that not every criminal case resulting in deportation is going to end up being removed from the United States. And that is, I think, the, the, the legacy of the case. And if you recall, President um, Obama came before the United States Supreme Court. He had established a program for young children who were brought to the United States below the age of 16 and that was successful, allowing them to get driver's licenses and register for college and do a lot of things that, because they were totally illegal, they weren't able to do. <clears throat> he gave them employment authorization, allowed them to travel out of the state and come back and so on. And that helped about 80 to 100,000 children. And then the president tried to do it for the parents of American children, which might have covered as many as four or five million um, illegals. With respect to that, the courts in Texas um, ordered the case held, and as a result of the fact that we only have eight justices in the Supreme Court, at this time, there was a split decision, and he never got permission to do that. But that is all the aftermath that grew out of the uh, Lenin case as a result of our research there. Well, I suspect that John Lennon and Yoko Ono uh, would both be uh, uh, proud of, of this book that you've written, uh, John Lennon versus the United States, The Inside Story of the most bitterly contested and influential deportation case in United States history. The book is published by Anderwick in 2016. Leon Wiles, thank you very much for your time today. It's a pleasure.